This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. The temptation of Jesus appears in both the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, chapter 4. And for the 40 years that I've been learning to become a a Christian, I have been fascinated by this scripture. So I want to run through the scripture with you slowly, then I want to pray, and I want to talk about my musings over 40 years about how this can help me to become a better Christian and live a better life. Thank you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, Matthew 4, 6. Sorry. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. When I was first a Christian, it took me a little while to get there. I was a theist at first, and then I slowly evolved into a Christian. I was fascinated by what I saw when I looked at the references in Matthew 4, back to the book of Deuteronomy, where people of Israel struggled for 40 years in the desert despite a promise from God and one whole generation ended up dying in that desert bar a couple before they could actually enter their inheritance and God's promises and I thought to myself what can I learn from this Jesus was in and out in 40 days the people of Israel got bogged down for 40 years and ended up dying in the desert. I just want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you know my history with this bit of scripture. You know the many moments that it's occurred in my life and inspired me and also chastised me. I just want to pray that I'm able right now to impart by your power 
something of what I've learnt in my 40 years of learning how to live out the abundant life and pass that on to those here and to anyone that is looking on online. Father, I do ask you for your anointing and to give me the words to say that I might achieve that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I had a really interesting conversion. I didn't actually have anybody around me when I became a Christian. And it all started when I was sat in a bedroom in Brisbane where I was working and the room clouded slightly. And as a result of that, a whole amount of deep conviction came into my life, into my heart that I didn't understand as a young atheist, very much a person who'd never known a church person. And it caused me to go through any number of trials and tribulations from about May 1981 when this happened till 1985 when I actually went to Bible college to begin a, a second chapter of my Christian life. I was very interested in the things of God and then one day I started doing some casual work and as part of that I came across a garbage bin with a red Bible in it. And that red Bible was an old good news Bible that school children used and it was just words upon a line. It was very simple and I took that home with me and I took it in and it led to me eventually repeating some of the words out of the books of Acts and the Gospels to the Father and to Jesus and being born again before I actually met another Christian. I have a very, very strong faith in Jesus and his ability to connect with whoever in whatever way he knows will work with them. I've seen it in my own life. I want to just look at Matthew 4.4 for a minute. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he replied, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you look at your references in the Bible, you'll see in the book of Deuteronomy, that Moses is talking about what went on with the people of Israel. And they're asked to remember how the Lord, their God, led them all the way in the wilderness, 40 years, the number of years I've been thinking on these things, to humble and test them in order to know what was in their hearts, whether or not they would keep his commands. He humbled them, causing them to hunger and then feeding them with manna, which neither he they nor their ancestors had known to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that's my first learning experience. I learnt out there somewhere, somehow, via the glorious Holy Spirit, that we're to live first and foremost on the Word of God. Now, the Word of God for us can be a number of things, but primarily day in, day out, it's the written word of God, the Bible. 
And please note that Jesus answered his temptations by quoting the written word of God. It's unchanging. It's set. It's got God's seal of approval. And Jesus, as he was preparing for his ministry, he knew what he needed to learn by knowing the words of Moses from so long before. He knew that he needed to live on the word of God more than he needed to live on bread. And that's where Satan was trying to teach him and obviously tempt him to fall over with a reliance on bread. So Jesus passed the first test that the people of Israel never really passed. And I thought to myself, I can do the same. It requires me spending time in the Word of God. And for many years, particularly when I was busy at work, I'm now retired, for many years I struggled as best I could with demanding schedules and complex workplaces to feed myself the Word of God whichever way I could, whether it was in a CD in the car, whether it was later on listening to it online in a train travelling home with my earphones. I want to talk to you or give you a testimony. I want to tell you about something that happened in a retirement village that I used to work in, probably way, way back in about 1992-93. I was walking down the corridor of the retirement village. I can remember the corridor. I can even remember the number of the room. And as I was walking along this corridor, there was a knock from inside the door. So somebody was knocking to get out of the room. That was interesting. So I stopped and opened the room. I knew who was in there. It was an old lady by the name of Brigadier Payne, who was a Salvation Army officer, now passed away a long time ago, who'd worked as a midwife and devoted her life to God and the calling that she had. And she was wanting to come into a room, but she was already in her room. And I tried to convince her that she was where she wanted to go. And I did it by going to some photos on the wall, and particularly one that she was very proud of, of her holding a pair of twins that she delivered as a young girl many years ago. When I showed her this picture, she said to me, if those people want to have a photo of me on their wall, that's their business, but this isn't my room. What she needed was exactly what I had for her. It was clarity, it was truth, and it was in the words that she was hearing, but she was unable to grasp it. And that is a common situation in our world today. On recognising as a Christian what the Word of God has to offer. The Word of God has life, it is food. On seeing that Jesus used the written Word of God to quote, when in temptation, on seeing that Jesus 
seemed to talk to people about what was going to happen in his life and his ministry based on what he had somehow gathered from the scriptures because he would not have had a Bible at his bedside. Somewhere there, I learnt the importance of getting the word of God, the written word of God, into me daily. And sometimes I miss and I try really hard not to. And it's much easier now I've retired. But the habit of feeding yourself some quality word of God will make all the difference in your life and it's made all the difference in my life. It's not rocket science, this strategy. It's clear in the scriptures. It's foundational. It's that simple. And I love a particular scripture that Jesus quoted, another quote of Jesus that's become scripture, and I'm just going to read it to you. I'm not going to click on it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man whose house is built on the rock. And, of course, he goes on to say that when the storm comes, that man's house will stand. At the moment, I've been reading Judges. And Judges shows you the disobedience of the people of Israel. It was a circular. They would be disobedient and get into a mess and they would repent and come back to God and they would live like that. Each man, as it says in Judges, doing what he thinks is right. But I've also been reading Ruth, which is written in the time of Judges. And in the book of Ruth, you see very clearly how God can take honourable people of truth and character and in good times and bad, get them through it and also serve a much greater purpose. So Ruth and Naomi came from bad circumstances to good circumstances in this small book of Ruth. And in doing so, Ruth also became part of the... the group of people, the chain of people who descended through to the birth of Jesus. She was essentially a grandmother of King David and in King David's line, Jesus came into his earthly birth. Job 23.12, I've just picked that one in isolation. I've not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. That's a very good balance. Don't miss your daily bread. Don't miss the word of God. Okay. What about the second temptation? The second temptation's not that clear, but I sure know what it means for me. So Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple, and I think it's really important, the setting. And he says to him, throw yourself down, and then he quotes Psalm 91, and he says, if you're the son of God, you won't even get hurt. And Jesus answers him from that position and says, 
It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that was the end of that temptation. Now, when I look at the people of Israel, what happened with them? Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. And Massa actually means test. Now, the people of Israel had crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. They had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They'd lived on manna, which their ancestors hadn't known. And they got to Massa and there was no water. And this is what they said. They said, is the Lord amongst us or not? So despite everything they'd seen and everything they'd experienced, despite their victories, they were still reliant on their circumstances other than the promise of God, which right at the beginning was was told to them that God had promised a land to Abraham and it was time that he was now going to take them. And so I look at that and I think that's the clue. Is the Lord amongst us or not? And remember, Satan's asking Jesus, if you are the Son of God. And Jesus didn't require extra proof. Jesus didn't require that miracle. He simply answered with the scripture, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And he moved on to his next testing from Satan and his next temptation that he'd been led into the desert or into the desert and beyond to experience. Now you think, Satan said to him, if you are the son of God, and this is a key to this one for me, You think of Matthew 3.17, just a little bit before. I don't think I've put that. There. No, I didn't. But just before in Matthew 3.17, the father had told Jesus that he was his son whom he loved and whom he was well with whom he was well pleased there was jesus's confidence there was jesus's standing not with a trick fall at the temple but rather the word of god and what does it say to me what did it say to dean cooper 40 years ago what does it say to me now it says god is with me and god is for me so much so that his Holy Spirit is committed to not leaving me or forsaking me. That, again, is something that we all know, but it needs to be rock solid in our lives, in the ups and downs. That is an anchor for our prayer life. 
is the Lord amongst us or not? Well, that's not a question that we're allowed to ask. It's not a question that Jesus was allowed to ask. But we are able to take scripture. We are able to digest the many, many pointers that come and go from this chapter and say, yes, God is with me. I, I'm, I have the Holy Spirit within me. And I just want you to have a little look at um, Deuteronomy 8, 15 and 16, because there's something really crucial there that we need to know about God's heart. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you. And this is the bit we really need to grasp. This is God's heart so that in the end it might go well with you. In our lives, in your lives, there at home watching online or in the lives of the people that are here with me, we are going to have troubles. But Jesus has overcome the world. The thing we need to remember is not only has Jesus overcome the world, that when we are tested, when we are tempted, it's so that in the end, it might go well with us. That is a comfort which allows us to give thanks in all circumstances, not without a struggle at times. I fail in that sometimes and I succeed in that sometimes, but I'm getting better. Just having a look at the notes that I have. I think I'm going to just keep going. The next one is Matthew 4, 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that was a quote from Moses again, Deuteronomy 6.13. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. We are in a battle and it's a battle for our worship. That's not an original. A number of the things I'm saying today aren't original. I've heard them from other people who probably heard them from other people. But when I heard that, it really clicked with me. We are in a battle, all right. We are in a battle for our worship. Jesus was in a battle for his worship. I don't know how Satan really thought he was going to pull that one off with Jesus, but he does a lot better with us, doesn't he? And this is borne out by Scripture, but true and proper worship is about how we live out our lives. A glorious part of our worship is singing to God, but that's the tip of the iceberg. Just have a look at this. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Now, that's our true and proper worship, how we live out our lives. So we feed on the word of God. We take great standing. We take great comfort in who we are to God. And then our third flow on from that, as we see from Matthew and Luke, this is what it's come down to me over 40 years as, it's how we live it. Now, I just don't get bowing down to a golden calf. I don't get where the temptation is there. But have a look at Ephesians 5.5. 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I'm glad that the most important aspect of having faith in God, the most important aspect of knowing the scriptures, knowing our standing with God, is that we are saved by grace. We don't have to struggle. Nevertheless, we are encouraged utterly for our own good, for God's own good, for the world's own good, to live holy lives. And this is what idolatry looks like to a person even in Bible times, not a golden calf, but all of these possibilities for sin that we understand, immorality, impurity, greediness. There's a lot of greediness in the church today that we need not to, to copy. Satan tempts Jesus with the splendours of this world and Jesus responds with worship God and serve him only. See, Satan was offering Jesus a taste of the world, but Jesus had developed a taste for God. It says in the scriptures, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. That's Psalm 34, 8. So blessed, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. To be living a blessed life is to be brought or being brought to a place of obedience by God. Being blessed is consistent with being brought to a place of obedience. Have a look at the Old Testament scriptures where they line up the curses and the blessings. It's very clear. But we've also got to remember in that that we are ultimately blessed by what Jesus did for us perfectly. I just want to quickly finish up. And I'm hopping to Luke because I like the wording of Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He has his tests. He has his temptations. He's out in 40 days and he's into his ministry. Now, very recently, a Christian pastor fell into disgrace and put something on Instagram. We don't need to make much of his name, although we probably all know him and we've heard about it. And this is what he said. He said, I did not do an adequate job. This, he says this is why he fell. And he fell, and he took his family down with him. I did not do an adequate job of protecting my own spirit, refilling my own soul and reaching out for the readily available help. When you lead out of an empty place, you make choices that have real and painful consequences. That's all I want to read. When you lead out of an empty 
place. Contrast that with Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We've got a choice. We can be full by hearing the word of God, spending time in prayer and then living a holy life. And or we can be empty and search for a buzz in the bright lights of the world. There's some very bright lights here and there. They're just making me hot. The bright lights of the world might look very dazzling to some people, but um, they mightn't uh, make the test of time. And see, this is really important when we consider our worship. And I've thought of the best things I can. The spouse that you love, a lovely, pure intention. The beautiful children you have and adore, or a genuine, needful Christian ministry, genuine and needful, such as God really needs done in the world. You know what? They will not fulfill the deepest needs of the human heart. Only God will. And that's what I want to really leave with you as the most important point. Based on my 40 years' experience, the only, only aspect of life that will fulfil the deepest needs of the human heart is a really serious relationship with God in obedience to his simple methods of scripture, prayer and worship as a lifestyle. Now, I just want to pray with you. If you've listened to this, you may be a Christian. You may never have been a Christian. You might be like me 40 years ago when I turned on the TV and I wasn't a Christian. I saw these Christian people on television. Well, now it's online. And eventually, I took that Bible of mine and I said a little bit of a prayer and it changed my life. And so I want to just run through with you, if we could, just to conclude a little bit of a prayer and we'll finish there. If you would like to pray after me these words, then please do. And I'm just going to say them slowly and clearly. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't know what I'm going to believe tomorrow, but I do know that right now I believe in Jesus. I really want to accept what he did on the cross for me and when he rose from the dead. And your Holy Spirit, I really want to receive. I want to be a new creation, as the scriptures call it. I want to be born again. I want to live for Jesus. I want to live a life of worship. If you have prayed that, might not be the exact words, it's the intent of the heart that really, really matters, then, then I believe that you would be born again just as I would. And you're going to change. And you don't necessarily know why you change. You're going to see things differently and you'll probably have a hunger for the Bible which you need to, to respond to. If you've done that, please click the prayer tab on the screen that you're looking at and get in contact with us. 
so that we can help you. And if you're here in this room and this is something that has touched your heart that you feel you need to respond to, then please, the people who are here to pray for you, please make yourself known to them and and communicate with them and get prayed for. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I've really enjoyed doing this and hope to reach out to somebody out there because I was out there once. So God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church Podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers.